Thank you for listening to the BJJ Brick Podcast. We'll be bringing you Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and good times. We hope to flatten your Jiu-Jitsu learning curve, help you get the most out of your grappling ability, and meet your goals both on and off the mat. Welcome back, my friends, to episode 104 to the BJJ Brick Podcast. This is Byron. I'm here with my buddy Gary. Gary, welcome back to the show. Yes, hey, sorry there. I missed it last week. I had some uh, uh, guests. Uh, my in-laws were in town, and uh, me and Byron could not hook up and find a time together. So thanks for taking over, Byron, and I apologize to all you guys. Or Actually, you guys were probably happy <laughs> that I took a week off. So it's probably the most listened-to episode ever. I, <laughs> it, it wasn't uh, it, 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 the time that Gary had free. Uh, I was not available, so it just didn't match up. So uh, we tried, and, and uh, that's all we could do is, is give it our best. And we're but lucky. To- Byron never lets anybody down. He made sure he got the episode out. So good job, Byron. Yeah, there may be some weeks that didn't, didn't happen, but so far so good. But we've got a great episode this week. We have Allison Trombley. Uh, she's a black belt competitor from Canada. Uh, she just recently competed in ADCC. Uh, she also uh, this year came in second at the uh, Black Belt Worlds. So uh, she's a high-level competitor, and she's here sharing her story and also giving uh, you and me advice, my friends. So really excited to bring that. We've got a, a uh, action-packed show, as usual, Gary. Yep. Hey, I can't wait to uh, get some advice from Allison. Uh, like you said, very high-level uh uh, level competitor so uh that's coming a little bit later on in the show and and also uh i know we've talked about this before but uh if you'd like to support the show uh one thing we've got going on well specifically byron has going on <laughs> um is our uh, audiobook um it's called your first year in bjj uh, there's a link to it on our show notes. There's a link to it on our webpage. It's basically a roadmap, uh, kind of guiding you through your first year of jiu-jitsu, which, which is a tough year. So many people drop out in their first year. And, and Byron's goal, which is a great goal, is to, to help people through that first year so you'll keep training. The more people we keep training, the better off our sport's going to be. So um, uh, it's a great uh, resource. It's basically just like one of our podcasts, uh, about two and a half hours of Byron discussing different topics. And um, it's only $11.99. We've had so many good uh, reviews on it. Uh, People who've checked it out just love it. But it's a good way to support the show. So uh, definitely check it out and uh, uh, see how you like it. Yep, and that's uh, we really appreciate that. Anytime we sell a book, so <laughs> that means a lot to us. And stay tuned to the end of the episode; we'll learn a little bit about Gary's book he's been working on. I can't wait for that part. Yes, and neither can I. We also have a way to make sure you don't miss an episode of the BJJ Brick Podcast. Is you go online to our website on the big internet there, uh, bjjbrick dot com, or on our Facebook page. If you've never been to Facebook, you should check it out. And sign up on our email list. Just enter in your name and email address, not your real address. And uh, every Tuesday, we'll send you out a little email telling you about the show, helping you out what's up, giving you the show notes. So, Byron, what if somebody did make the mistake and entered their real address? Would you take it to them? I, I guess I could deliver the podcast, uh, yeah, in, in physical form. Okay, that's what I said. I mean – that's an overachiever for you guys right there. Not yes. very many people would do that. Only Byron. I'd just show up. I'd have the headsets on and it had my uh, my phone in, in my pocket. And uh, and I would just say word for word what we're saying. Yeah, it's great. You know, I've only done that a handful of times. but it's And it, it's a bit of a kind of waste of money traveling that far and, 
and just standing in front of somebody talking to them as they listen to me silently. Byron, nothing's a waste of money when you're spreading <laughs> the art of jujitsu. So I like the I like the positive attitude, Gary. That's really nice. Thank you. I'm a pessimist, but I'm a I go to the Optimist Club. There you go. Perfect. Good. And this week uh, we have another great great quote uh, from William James. Act as if what you do makes a difference. It does. That's Man, so true. simple. Yeah, simple, true words. Um, act it. It does make a difference. It it, it does. Um, you got to have the confidence. You've got to uh, got to do it. Yeah, it, it it could be. This is a great one on the matter, off the matter. Obviously, uh, I don't believe William James um, did a whole lot of Brazilian jiu jitsu. He he died in nineteen ten, and he was an American philosopher. But uh, he could have been a judo guy. He could have. Yeah, probably was a judo guy. Catch his <laughs> catch his catch can wrestling. Absolutely. Yeah. But uh, but it's the same. Like during your, if you're going to drill your techniques, act as if what you're doing matters because it does. It's going to affect you know you, the outcome of your technique and how good they're going to be. If if you want to stay and watch TV, act like it like what you're going to do is going to matter because it does. You, I mean, you'll learn more about the TV show you're watching or you know whatever you're doing, but um, you're not going to get any better at jiu-jitsu that day. Well, you could be depending on what you're watching too. But you know, same thing with jujitsu. You know, active jujitsu makes a difference. It does. And you think about this show. Think about our episode 100. Think about all the people who who sent in what jujitsu has done for them. I mean, it, it's have confidence in jujitsu. It's done so much for all of us. Um, otherwise, we wouldn't be making this show. You guys wouldn't be listening. And uh, anytime you you're thinking jujitsu's hasn't done a lot go back to episode 100 and uh see how it's uh impacted so many people's lives yeah it's not and i think we said it during the episode it's not just making people uh better fighters and, and better martial artists it's helping people off the mat it's giving people great uh benefits as well um and then i, I think this also happens like socially you know act as if what you do matters because it does if someone's having a bad day you could alter that if someone's having a bad week or year or whatever you know what you do matters, and that could be if you're having the bad week or month, or if somebody else is having that. Um, things things can change, and you can be part of that. Yeah, and that's what martial arts is all about. You know, making people's day, making the world a better place, and kind of what you you said a minute ago about making people happy. I was reading something the other day, and and I, I think it was almost kind of a joke, but it kind of goes to what you were saying, or not a joke, but uh, uh, not necessarily true. I think somebody was just throwing it out there, but. It was my somebody said, you know, my boyfriend goes around and everybody we go by, he smiles at. And and I one day I asked him, why do you smile at everybody we pass by? And he said, you know, I read one time of somebody who was getting ready to commit suicide. He said he was just getting ready to commit suicide, and somebody came by and smiled at him. And he's like, that person because of that smile, because of that friendship he showed. I decided not to commit suicide. And it's kind of just like what you said, you know, we're, smile at people, be nice to people. Uh, it's the martial way. There you go, Gary. Way to, I think that's a great way to wrap up this quote and kind of uh, bring it home and, and mention the off-the-mat benefits of it. Yep, uh, great quote, William James. All right, we've got an article of the week. It's going to be found on jujitsutimes.com. The unsung jujit hero, kind of like jujitsu hero, jujit hero. 
Oh, I like that. And it uh, looks like it's by Jonathan Hale. Yep. And I think basically here, Jonathan highlights three people that uh, really wouldn't be that well uh, noted otherwise, but they're making a big impact on the mat and uh, off the mat as well. So um, just wanted to, you know, bring some attention to some people in our uh, community. The the first one is his instructor, Ladell Elliott. He's been uh, he's out of Stillwater, Oklahoma. He's got 35 years of uh, martial arts experience, and he's a brown belt, a two stripe brown belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. So, the way that his instructor has affected his life off off the mat and on the mat are so huge and positive. He really wanted to highlight this uh, instructor and and the way that he teaches techniques. Um, in a manner that that fit the techniques match each other and they fit well and uh and, and they build upon each other he uh, really enjoys that and i think that that's a uh, that's one of the great things about how jujitsu is taught uh it, it, just a lot of places um it really helps people get into the sport it's a it's a culture of learning um that in most jujitsu gyms not of like trying to prove yourself and and, and be tougher than the next guy. Uh, so that's a great thing we have going on. What I really like uh, that he was talking about was uh, Liddell Elliott teaches in a progression style. Um, he'll start with one move, a basic escape, and, you know, you progress to like six different moves, you know, so they all work together. But what I like is he's saying, like, even the, the beginner sometimes may not understand, you know, move four, five, or six, but the good thing is they start from the first position, the escape every single time. So by the time they're done going through the, the progression there through the six steps, the new white belt has done that escape maybe a hundred times, which uh, basically is just going to make them so much better at that escape, which is what you need at the white belt level. Yeah. Uh, going on the article, he uh, he tells a story. It's, it's a truly a story of someone who's got a great heart and it's actually of somebody named Kelly Sandal who's a three-stripe purple belt and also has a heart condition and just just the sheer passion of uh, at first uh, looked like MMA and then uh, jiu-jitsu uh, really has has motivated uh, Kelly to, to step up and and, and that, now Kelly's competing at every tournament he can get to and and uh, doing very well and it, it's just amazing what uh, jiu-jitsu has has done for him you know, like I was just reading the, the one about Kelly there, and, you know, it's just inspirational. Here's a guy who, you know, had a, a congenital heart disease. He, you know, helped everybody out. Then uh, he ended up getting the surgery, but he had to be on blood thinner, so he switched instead of, you know, mostly MMA, straight jiu-jitsu. And, and here it says he trains every day, sometimes twice a day, teaches no-gi, competes all the time. But, you know, best of all, you know, he helps all his teammates out he can. I mean, that guy's just, uh, like you said, very inspirational, um, just a great teammate, a great competitor, and a great person. So uh, kind of cool just to read about him. Yeah, that, that very motivating to to see that and, and to think that uh, the story is probably not unique that the other people are getting the same uh, benefits. Yep, so true. Okay, and the third story here um, was from Brian Coons, and it's about uh, his daughter Annika, a passionate ten year old daughter. 
And basically, uh, Annika uh, trains jujitsu too there along with uh, uh, Brian. And, and Brian says he's uh, black belt in Aikido, brown belt in karate, and about to get his blue belt in uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And he talks about how he, uh, his daughter trains there too. He's, he's uh, you know, at first literally had to push her onto the mat. But uh, as he said, she's uh, uh, very passionate about it now. But, I mean, this is kind of neat. Um, I guess Annika was at a tournament and wanted to get some uh, uh, female BJJ gear. Um, you know, girls bring it in jiu-jitsu, wanted something like that. And there was really nothing there. They couldn't really find they were just finding like boy shirts and you know stuff like that uh so they started their own company and uh like he's uh brian's an illustrator and a martial arts lover and he said i'll make you one and my printer guy make you a few and they got the shirts everybody loved them and next thing you know they've they've got so much business they're overwhelmed it's kind of neat to uh and to see that, uh, here's somebody who's just so passionate about the sport, sees what's missing, um, which is uh, jiu-jitsu shirts for females, you know, going that way, uh, geared towards females. And uh, now they're doing great. And he said he's sponsored some major tournaments. And uh, in his own words, it's a whirlwind. It's That's awesome. Yeah, I, w- I would even say that it's not just females. It's geared towards uh, girls that are like little girls that yeah yeah want to have I'm their sure. own style and you know like yep. unicorns and princesses, but also like jujitsu and that's yep. perfectly normal and that's what she wants to get out there. So yeah, what I like is there's a picture of her on there and it shows her like drawing some stuff. She's probably going to put on a shirt. Uh, I can see uh, it looks like an arm bar being thrown on there, so uh, it's kind of neat. Yeah, that is kind of a cool picture. Go to the website uh, jujitsutimes.com and look for Jujit Aero, the unsung Jujit Aero, or just go on our show notes and find the link there and uh, check out her drawing. It's it's pretty cool. Yeah, um, it's awesome. Jonathan is also looking for more stories like this. So if you want to uh, contribute your story to to his uh, Jujit Aero, I guess it's probably looking like a series maybe, um, go for that. He's got an email address there. It looks like it's honesty, honesty can suck at uh, gmail.com. So... Uh, or you know it's on there it's on the uh, article so if you got a story that is uh you know probably about somebody that you know not necessarily yourself i would say uh go ahead and send it his way and uh, i think he'd appreciate that yep and i guarantee you won't forget that uh email address on its honesty can suck <laughs> sometimes it does man but yeah that's uh that's one of the benefits of jiu is that we're constantly dealing with honesty and, and reality it really is. It's honesty. Um, you're on there on the mat. There's no hiding. There's no falsehoods out there. You're you're either defending that armbar or you're not. So uh, it's uh, true as can be out there. Yep. Byron, I think it's about time for the uh, uh, interview. All right. Sounds good. Let's get our conversation with Allison Tremblay. He is the most interesting grappler in the world. He once started a wave at ADCC. 23 people drowned. He has vowed to never repeat this act of carelessness. He did forward rolls to the top of Mount Everest. He once tripped so hard he accidentally opened a red lobster. I don't always listen to podcasts, but when I do, I prefer the BJJ Brick Podcast. Go for the submission, my friends. All right, my friends, I'm happy to bring Allison Tremblay to the BJJ Brick Podcast. Allison, thank you for uh, giving us your time and, and an interview today. 
No problem. Thank you so much for, for giving me the opportunity to be on here. It's great. All right. We're definitely excited to have you on and, and, and share uh, what you bring to the table or what you bring to the mat, I guess is a better way to say that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> tell us a little bit about yourself. Just introduce yourself to the audience if you could. Yeah, um, my name's Allison. Um, I'm 24 years old. I live in um, Carlton Place, Ontario, which is in Canada. So we're a little small town of 9,000 people just outside of Ottawa. Um, I'm a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu under um, Fabio Holanda of BTT Canada. Um, my dad's my head coach, so he so he owns the, the club that I train at. I also train um, with my younger brother, Michael Tremblay, who is a brown belt. All right, and what? So you have a, your family's there training. What's? Uh, can you tell me a little bit about the dynamics of that? Yeah, it's it's awesome. Um, my dad has been teaching martial arts or involved in martial arts since I think like 1972 is what he, <laughs> he always says. Um, and you know, he's been ever since I can remember. He's he's owned his, like a martial arts club, and he's been running classes out of that. Um, but it's it's great to be able to train with him and my brother and, and all the other big people that we have at, at Alpha MMA. But, um, no, it's, it's just awesome. Like everyday training with people who, you know, you get along with and who know you really well and, and you trust a hundred percent. Like it's, it's just, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, you know, I personally, I, you develop, it seems like I develop trust with my teammates after some rolling and some sessions like that. Mm-hmm. But family is a different level, I think. And, and, and to have that would be a, a really amazing. It is. And it's definitely, you know, it's, it's awesome, but it's, it's also super frustrating sometimes too, right? Like, um, we kind of take all the stuff that happens at training home with us, you know, like with my brother and stuff, yeah. like we're, we're like 18 months apart. So we still, we still bicker, we still argue and, but it's, it's still great, you know, at the end of the day to know that you always have that training partner there who's a hundred percent on your side, like no matter what, you know, it's, it's awesome. Who's older? I'm older, but yeah, I'm older. <laughs> <laughs> did you guys, uh, how early did you guys start uh, grappling? Um, we've kind of always been been doing it, you know, but I played, um, so when I was growing up, I live in Canada, so I played, you know, super competitive um, double-A hockey in the winter, and I played regional-level soccer in the summer. Um, so I was really busy doing that, I think, until I was 17. Um, and then I had a couple scholarship opportunities to go play hockey in the States and I decided to just stay um, to stay home and go to university in, in Ottawa um, and then I was kind of looking you know for another sport to do and my dad was like well how about you just kind of commit to jiu-jitsu like you know he was, he was kind of suggesting that pretty heavily so I started you know training every day and then I think I did my first competition my first year of university and then ever since then I've been kind of hooked on it. <laughs> So you, you did it a lot as a child, but uh, you were uh, you were in college by the time you actually tried uh, competing. Yeah, like I had I had been exposed to it, so you know, like my I it wasn't really a matter of learning all the basic moves. You know, when I decided to commit, which was kind of nice, but like I knew I was familiar with it. I knew you know most of the stuff, and I was familiar with all the with the structure of it. But you know, I think my first year of university, I. I didn't go to jiu-jitsu tournament because I had to go to this rugby tiger that was there, you know. Um, but then I, you know, kind of just decided to to make the jump and, and fully commit to it probably when I was 18, yeah. I got I to gotta know, is there any other siblings that uh, that I'm missing out on? No, it's okay. it's just us two. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, we've had your brother on the show in the past, and, and he was a lot of fun, and, and we'll put a link to that so they can kind of get the whole uh, – get both yeah. of you there, so that's fun, but um, – 
And could you tell us a little bit about, uh, I know you mentioned it real quickly, where you're training and in, in, in the name of your gym? Yep. So um, I train in Carlton Place, Ontario. Um, we're half an hour outside of Ottawa, um, super small town, 9,000 people. Um, our club is called Alpha MMA. And it's it's great. It's it's such a to me it's such a unique club experience, you know. I've I've been all over the world and I've I've trained at all these other clubs, you know, and, and everywhere I go I'm always, you know, really glad I train at the club I train at. Just because, you know, we, we have a lot of women, we have a lot of kids. Um our club is not a bunch of, you know, everybody's just trying to kill each other. We're really supportive of everybody and we're, you know, everyone's there to, to learn and to, to practice. And I think just because of the demographic that we have in such a small town, you know, our, our primary base is 30 to 40 year old parents of the kids that train. So it's, it's just a great, it's a lot of, it's a different dynamic than most of the other clubs that I've trained at. And it's just, it's, it's awesome. And I love everybody there and the whole team that we have. It's, it's wonderful. You said you have a lot of women at your club. Is yeah. that before you started taking jujitsu more seriously? Was that the case, or is your presence yeah, affecting that? You think we've we've always had um, quite a quite a few number of, of women training, and I think um, you know because we're such a family oriented club and we're we're in such a small town. I think you know that draws a lot of the women. Like they watch their their kids training with us and then they kind of go oh you know maybe I want to try it one day because they've been watching it for for two or three years they, they know all the moves and they can just jump right into it and 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 I think too it helps you know um a lot of our you know we have another brown belt at the club Lisa um, myself who's a black belt and then we have a, a another girl Jessica who's a purple belt so I think having high level girls who can teach and can you know coach the the lower belt girls coming up probably helps a lot too yeah, that, that sounds like a good uh, combination of, of uh, things that make up a good team. Um, mm-hmm. you're, you're a high-level competitor yourself, um, it, but I'd be wrong in assuming that all you did all day long was jujitsu. You're you're a very busy yeah. person. Tell us a little bit about what you do off the mat. Yeah, I'm, I'm very busy. So um, I work full-time as an employment counselor for people with disabilities. So I basically work with clients who are trying to come off social assistance and face certain, you know, barriers to employment, whether it be um, a physical handicap or a a psychiatric um, roadblock that they're facing. And I just help them, you know, return back into the workforce um, and do that. And then I also, um, I'm in school part-time taking um, HR courses to get my professional designation for that. And then I'm not doing those two things. I'm either training or teaching or sleeping. (laughs) (laughs) It it sounds like you're going to school for something that you're uh, kind of working with, so that's always a good combination. It seems like it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's 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 great. Um, you know, I like I went to school for for psychology, so I only I have my um, my bachelor's in psychology, so it's it's tough to get um it's tough out of university to get a job like in counseling or something that's very psychological like psychology focused because you have to have a master's or a PhD. So this type of work is awesome, and the company that I work for is great. You know, they let me take every time I need to go to a tournament or something, they let me go, and there's no headaches there, which is which is awesome. Wow, that that's great. You found a, uh, people that will support you in that aspect of it. Can yeah. You, speaking of competitions, can you kind of give us a few highlights of uh, your competition experience? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I got my black belt 
November 2014. Um, so it's been like my first year as a black belt. So just as a black belt, I um, I came second at the IBPJF World Championships this year. Um, and then I also got invited to ADCC in Sao Paulo, Brazil, which was amazing. Um, and then as a blue belt, I came second at the World Championships. Um, I won the World Championships as a purple belt. I came third in the absolute. And I won the World Championships as a brown belt as well and came third in the absolute. And I'm a, you know, I'm a three-time Nogi Pan Am champ, three-time Nogi um, Pan Am absolute champ as well. Wow. You, you are busy. I am. I'm very busy, but it's good. It keeps me out of trouble. <laughs> how, just out of curiosity, how much more school do you have until you'll be able to at least get that off your calendar? And, and... Yeah, I have, um, I have, I think it's two more years. I'm just doing it um, part-time just yeah. because I'm so busy with everything else. So, yeah, I, I take I take two courses a semester. Um, so I have about two more years left. And then I have to take my, my exam to get my professional designation. Well, cool. Keep working hard on that. I mean, it's always. It's. I always admire uh, athletes who are uh, students, and and then you're also working on top of that. So. Uh, yeah, definitely. You know, it's, it's, it's fun. <laughs> it's fun. Well, <laughs> you, I guess you like being busy, and uh, yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> Could you describe your game a little bit for us? Yeah, um, it's very. Um, I like being on the top, you know, I like, I like passing with guard and, and getting to cross mount mount. Um, half guard is probably my favorite position though. Half guard on top. Um, I'm, I've always been, you know, strong and physical and that's one of my, it's one of my many attributes, my main attributes. Sorry. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I don't have these long crazy legs and I'm not super flexible. So, you know, I like to get on top and, and smash and just kind of get to get to my position. So the half guard and then just, you know, do from there and get my submission that I, that I like to do. And that's kind of the game plan. Every, every match, you know, is just to get to my position, get to my A game and stay there. <laughs> how, how do you typically uh, get top position? Do you work for takedowns or do you work for a quick sweep and try to get from there? Yeah. So I, I've been working my wrestling um, more and more lately, but um, I find just with the girls that I face in jujitsu, you know, most of them, um, do just pull right away into like an open guard or a closed guard. So I really focus on on passing the guard or at least passing to to a half guard position, um, which can sometimes be a bit easier than just going straight for like a cross mount or a mount position. <laughs> I think that's um, if you kind of look into that. That's I've said s- some things like similar to some of the guys I've coached that if they they want to be on top, just wait a little while. Don't pull guard mm-hmm. first. And usually after 30 seconds, somebody's pull guard. And if it's not you, it's the other person. And yep. that's uh, a great opportunity to, to get top and not have to uh, uh, make a big deal out of it. Yeah, definitely. And I find, you know, um, girls as a whole, I don't know if it's if it's different for the guys' divisions, but there's a lot of guard playing in, in jiu-jitsu or a lot of guard pulling, I should say, from, from the girls. So to have a style that's different from that is is is, is refreshing at some times, you know, and it. It gives me a, if they want, they're going to pull their guard and do their game, and that's great. I'll do my game, and we can kind of just see see where it ends up. <laughs> yeah, why do you suppose that is, if it's, in, if it's I, a little different? I'm not sure. I don't know if it's maybe just because, um, like, why the, sorry, your question, why the... Um, why you feel that, that uh, in your division that there's more competitors pull guard than... I don't know if it's just because growing up, um, like more guys do do wrestling, like in high school and stuff like that. So the the takedowns are just 
you know, they're more comfortable with them or I don't know if it's because in the gym, we're just kind of always used to, to being on the bottom and, and getting smashed by our, uh, like our, the training partners on top. Um, or it's just like, you know, body types, girls can kind of tend to be more, more flexible and can play, you know, their legs can be more mobile sometimes than, than males. I'm not, I'm not really sure. That's but. interesting. So would you say that, um, at your gym, do a lot of your, the people you roll with, do they go ahead and pull guard on you just just out of habit and you end up on top um, more than probably a lot of other people in other gyms? Yeah, sometimes. You know, what we really – I don't know. Like, I, again, I don't really know how different it is at other clubs. But, yeah. you know, my dad, our, our main coach um, – Peter Trombley, he, you know, really emphasizes that, you know, in class you're you're practicing what you need to work on so that in a tournament, you know, in a, in a tournament you, you do only what you're good at. So the rolling in our club is very, okay, let's put myself in a bad position, in a position that I don't want to end up in in a tournament so that, heaven forbid, if I do end up there in a tournament, you know, I've practiced it and I know how to get out of it, and it's not my first time experiencing something. So the rolling, you know, in our club is very, um, I don't want to say it's, it's lighter, but we it's not so much, okay, I'm just going to do only what I'm good at, and I'm going to try to beat the crap out of my partner. You know, it's very much, okay, what do I need to work on? And for me, if I need to work on, let's say, mount escape, you know, I'll, like I can practice with, you know, a white belt or a blue belt, and once I do it, on, I can escape from them, you know, then I go to a purple belt, a brown belt, and then, you know, then I know once I can escape mount from another black belt, then, okay, now, you know, that mount escape is good to use in a tournament. So that's kind of how our training is focused. So it, it helps you kind of improve on the areas that you you, you suck at. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, that's a good way to train, and I think it's often overlooked, except for, especially by people who are uh, maybe a little too competitive during rolling. Yeah. I mean, because you're going to get. I mean, if you're if you're training, you escape from mount. They're they're going to get tapped out sometimes, and it's just part of it. Yeah, and and you know, my coach like my coach always kind of says, you know, in the club like the club is kind of like your safe place. So every bad thing that can happen to you in a tournament, you want to experience it, you know, among friends and among people that you trust first, so that you know it's not this new foreign experience in a new foreign place that you're, you're, you're not used to, you know, if you can experience it with in a safe place, you know, it, it, you can mentally prepare better and, and focus more for when you're in a tournament and it, it happens. We just out of curiosity, when you, when you go travel and, and do a big tournament, uh, who comes with you? Uh, my dad and my brother come with me like 99% of the time. Um, I think I went to Abu Dhabi once and they didn't come, but mostly, you know, whenever we go to Worlds or anything, we're always traveling as a team, but, you know, for ADCC, they flew down and, and were there to coach me. If I go to Abu Dhabi and compete, they'll come down. If I have a super fight somewhere, you know, those two are always there in my corner all the time. Wow, that's that's great. Uh, speaking yeah. of going to Brazil, was that the first time you uh, have been in Brazil? Yeah, it was. Um, it was an incredible experience. Um, you know, we, we got there a couple of days before the ADCC and we were like, Oh, let's go train in Brazil. You know, we got to train at, um, Barbosa Academy in, in Sao Paulo. And it was really cool, you know, to just to train in Brazil. Like it was, it was everybody, when you hear everybody talking about it and you're kind of like, Oh yeah, like what, it's probably not that different. And it, you realize like how, how awesome it really is. You were and you were in Sao Paulo. Is that correct? 
Yes, we were in Sao Paulo, which is like a city of like 20 million people. <laughs> <laughs> I, I still have not uh, been to Brazil. Uh, g- give me like a, a traveling tip if you could. If somebody wants to go to Brazil and... and uh... Go, <laughs> make sure either you know how to speak Portuguese or you have somebody with you that knows how to speak Portuguese. Um, we we knew like none traveling down there. I think we knew like two or three words. But luckily we had... Um, Two of our good friends who've come up to Canada a few times to train at BTT headquarters. They live in Sao Paulo, so they kind of were like our tour guide and took us out to all the restaurants and ordered all the food for us because we we knew nothing. I think we went to one sushi restaurant after I competed, and we had to use like Google Translate to communicate with the <laughs> with the waitress. It was pretty funny. <laughs> so uh, a good friend that could uh, translate for you is, is priceless over there. That's <laughs> yes, definitely. And just knows all the all the um, I don't know if this is good, the not the safe places, but the good places to go. You yeah. know, like I'm from a like I said, a super small town and a super from a like Ottawa isn't even a big town compared to these cities, you know? Um, so it was, it was a huge culture shock. It was a huge, like, holy crap, like 20 million people in this, in this place. Like I've never been around 20 million people in my life, you know? So just to kind of, that like almost a tour guide to kind of show you all the, all the neat places to go and see. Well, that's good. Yeah. How about your, uh, experience at the actual competition? It was amazing. You know, um, I remember being like a blue belt and having, you know, buying the the DVD sets of of ABCC and watching the women and being like, wow, you know, like one day, like I'm going to be doing that. And to, to go and do that was, it's like, you know, I think it's on every top competitor's like to-do list. And, you know, I had a tough draw. I fought um, Gabby Garcia my first match, but, you know, for me, that's why I go to these big tournaments, you know, living in Ottawa and, and I don't get exposed to, to, those girls, you know, on a, on a regular basis, I, I'll meet them at Worlds if, if I'm lucky, you know. So to get to go and fight these girls, to fight Gabby, a nine-time world champion, two-time ADCC champion, you know, was was just incredible. Yeah, how? I mean, that's I mean, it's it's a rough draw to get her that your first match. <laughs> but uh, that sounds like a, a wild experience, and, and not just on the mat, but off the mat, and, and seeing uh, the sights and. Well, yeah, and it was it was funny because I um I kind of every year I try and write a list of of things I want to achieve or you know I try to make like just have some some type of goal set so I have like my personal life my my professional life and my work life and my jujitsu life and I came across this piece of paper that I wrote and I think when I was when I after my twenty fourth birthday so November of last year. And it was like, you know, in five years, this is what I want to be. And it was for jiu-jitsu. It was, you know, have my black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, have one world as a black belt and to compete at ADCC. And it was just crazy that in, you know, less than a year, I can already cross two of those things off of my list, you know, and that was a pretty neat, a pretty neat feeling to be able to do. Wow. Yeah, that is, that's, uh, that's awesome. You you know, you had your goals set out and then you're you're crossing them off the the list there. Did you get... uh, invited uh to go I did I did um yeah I got invited probably a month before the tournament um I I remember I was like 
at work, check my emails quickly. And I was like, oh my gosh. I was like, and I didn't know, like, I was like, is this, is this real? Like, does this just happen? You just like randomly get an email from, <laughs> from ADCC being like, hey, we want you to come, you know? And and then I called my dad. I called like Fabio Landa in, in Montreal. And I was just like, so I guess we're going to ADCC in a month, everybody. And it was, yeah, it was crazy. Uh, if you could, uh, it might be hard for you to, to guess, but um, what, what's what, what do you think that uh, drew them to you? I'm not sure. You know, I mean, I I was the only Canadian that year, like this year, to be at ADCC to be competing there. So I don't know if they just kind of wanted to get, you know, more of a a complete representation of all the jiu-jitsu around the world. You know, I, I I'm accomplished in my nogi. Um, just from like doing the Noki pans and stuff like that. And, you know, I think maybe they just wanted a, a top girl from Canada and they were like, Hey, Alison Jones, at least that's what I hope it was. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. But no, it was, it was cool. It was a really cool thing to have happen. Yeah. Um, so you, you're clearly doing well at both Gi and Noki. How does your training different between the, the two? We, it's actually not that different. Um, we probably train 90% of the time in the Gi. Um, and then, you know, if we have a Nogi tournament coming up, then we'll train Nogi like two weeks before the tournament. Um, my coach always says, you know, uh, Gi is like chess and Nogi is like checkers. So if you start, you know, it, it's really easy for someone who started playing chess to figure out and learn the rules of che- of checkers. But if you, you know, if you learned and mastered checkers, you know, to go from chess is a little bit more of a, of a learning curve and a learning jump, just because there's so many more avenues to do and so much more, more stuff to do. So, you know, we train primarily in the gi and, and we don't really have a very grip based, um, style. So the, to transfer over to no gi is nothing to me, nothing really changes, except I kind of have to figure out where to grab the first few times. <laughs> Other than that, you know, my personal game is, is pretty much the same. That's that's uh, I think a big t- key to the success you've had in uh, no gi is that your your no gi game is similar to your gi game in that you're not it sounds like you're not you know like wrapping their lapel around them four times yeah, and trying to do exactly. crazy things exactly and and the BTG style you know is is very MMA focused as well so a lot of uh, the moves you know a lot of the curriculum that are that are styles of structure around are. are work very well like an MMA in no gi and in gi. So, you know, like I said, yeah, I'm not the type of person who's going to take your gi and wrap it around your leg and tie it around your shoulder. <laughs> like, that's too complicated for me. <laughs> I think I think I'm the same way. It's just, <laughs> you know, I, I have a, a you know, limited time I train, three or four times a week, it seems like, for myself. And, and if I work on a – I just train when I can. So if it's a gi night, I train gi. If it's a no gi night, I train no gi. Yeah. And, and if I can't work on the move I want to work on – because I'm not wearing a gi, that's I can go a whole week and not get to get to hit that move. Yeah, the whole time, exactly. So. Does it does that cause you any trouble when you're competing that somebody will wrap something, you wrap your gi up and and you kind of slow you down a little bit? Um, I mean, yeah, like it's always kind of a pain in the butt. Um, but you know, my brother um, has like a he's like an encyclopedia of jiu-jitsu knowledge. It's actually kind of ridiculous how much he knows. And he just, he's, he likes to just study film and study YouTube videos and study, you know, articles on people. So, you know, it's, it's really great to have him. He's always up on all like the newest and latest moves. So if I see something or if I get caught in something in a tournament, you know, he's like, Oh, well he should have just done this or this or that. So it's, 
it's cool to have access to, to someone like that on a regular basis. Yeah, and that's that's also good to have uh, in your corner that to where they yeah. kind of help you out a little bit. <laughs> Definitely, for sure, for sure. Um, so, what do you do before you actually compete? Like the, you, is that day? You know, the time's approaching, and and how do you get yourself ready? Uh, you know, thirty minutes before you're hitting the mat. Yeah, um, I've always like to be honest, struggled with that. You know, I find um, I get super super nervous. Um, you know, I it. It's tough because, you know, you have to realize the importance of, of what you're doing without getting too kind of freaked out by it. You know, so I just really focus on and try to visualize, like, what I want to do and visualize how the match is going to play out and visualize, you know, okay, they're going to do this. And when they do that, I'm going to step over the leg and I'm going to, you know, and I visualize, you know, winning. I, it sounds kind of lame, but, I, you know, I visualize the ref, like, raising my hand. I visualize, like, being what that's going to feel like, you know, and then so when I get out there, I'm focused and I know kind of exactly what I'm going towards. But like, I don't, you know, I don't listen to music or anything like that. I just kind of, I kind of just sit and chill and, you know, my brother, my dad will be there beside me just talking, you know, about what I want to do and just making sure that I have in my head exactly where I want to go and what I want to do. Do you think if you, if you change that, and I think a lot of times we don't do this on purpose, but we visualize a very tough match. We visualize being in trouble you know, like early yeah. on, would that change the way you you go out and start the match if you if that creeped into your head? Yeah, definitely. You know, my my dad is um, and my coach like he's the, he is like an expert of like the mental side of jujitsu and the mental side of sport, and it's it's actually incredible like what I've been able to learn from him concerning that stuff and realizing just how important the mental side of the game is. But you know, even just something as simple as saying like don't get caught in a Kimura or don't get caught in a triangle and just repeating that before your match you're in a situation like that you know your brain can't recognize the the word don't or the negative side of it so all your brain kind of absorbs when you say that is is get caught in a triangle or get caught in a you know get caught here or get caught there so everything that you're visualizing I've learned has to be has to be positive you know so it's you know get the pass, get the takedown, get the the submission. You know, you can't let those negative thoughts cut into your mind, like, at all. And that's kind of really what I focus on doing is just keeping everything positive and, and keeping everything, you know, yeah, just positive. That sounds good, and I didn't, I hadn't thought about that, but it makes sense that, you know, you know, especially if you're facing somebody you've faced before, you know, don't get caught yeah. in the triangle again or don't get caught in this again. Yeah. It just, you know, and think about your game. I, yeah, and I used to, like, when I was coming up, you know, when they started competing, I used to, you know, research all my opponents and, you know, look at, look, watch YouTube videos of them and just to see, like, what their styles were. And, and I realized that at the end of the day, you know, I can't control what my opponent does. I can only control what I do. And all I have to do in that match, in that moment, is, is do my very best and do the very best technique and try the hardest that I can and kind of whatever happens, happens in a way, you know, but I can't control whether my opponent's going to armbar me or triangle me or try and sweep me with the specific move. I just have to go out there and implement my game and impose my will on, on the person. That's great. You know, we've had so many people on this, on the show here. I, I forget who uh, says something to me. Sometimes I feel bad about it, but somebody said <laughs> that if I'm going to spend time, you know, learning how to defeat one person at a real specific thing, and that, that day comes and goes, 
and mm-hmm. and I didn't really improve my jujitsu that much. You know, you really work mm-hmm. on your jujitsu and get better at what you wanted to do, and uh, yep. and you'll get better and better every time you compete. Yep, definitely, definitely. And just you know, for me, you know, competing is uh is like an audit. So you know, in class, you roll with the same people every day, right? So they kind of learn your style, you learn their style. So you know, you don't you don't necessarily get such a clear. Uh, like show of what you need to work on where when you go to a tournament and you know if you totally get your ass kicked and you you get taken down or you get stuck in a position that you don't normally get stuck in in class then you can kind of go back and go okay you know if I get stuck in 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 someone's clothes guard for five minutes that's what I'm going to work on for the next two months in class that's what I'm going to visualize for the next two months when I'm at home or at work and I'm gonna you know that's what I'm going to work on so it's a good way to to just see the holes in your game that you need to improve on yeah, and that's I mean that's a perfect example of uh you know if you if something happens at a tournament and you're not happy with you learn from it and you get better from it. You don't just be upset about it and and uh and, and yeah, try definitely. to go, go around that would just happen to you. Definitely. Do you do much teaching there at your academy? I do. Yeah, I teach um we have a great group of kids. So I teach the um the kids class uh, for 45 minutes every night. So we have like a beginner, intermediate, and advanced class. And I teach the intermediate kids ages 6 to 12. But yeah, it's awesome. Teaching's great. So you have the kids' classes are beginner, intermediate, and advanced? Is that yeah? Okay. Yep. And so I teach the, I teach the intermediate kids at the club. What are your goals for the students, like in general? Um, I think it's a, it's, you know, we have kids that are like super gung-ho and, and want to compete at every tournament we can. And then we have some kids who are just there, you know, because it's, it's fun for them. So it's, I, I feel like, you know, when you're a kid, (coughs) sports should be fun. Sports should be something that you look forward to coming to every day. You know, it shouldn't be something that you dread. Um, so it's, it's, you know, getting them getting the basics down as a whole and getting just the general concepts of jujitsu down um, so that when they become adults or when they become older and can start doing the trickier stuff, they understand, you know, the reasoning behind the foot being positioned here or the hand being positioned there or how to, to kind of move your body in a way, in the way that you want to and controlling your body in motion. Um, and just, you know, creating kids as well that, that are really good people. You know, we have enough kind of mean kids at school. So just making sure that, you know, the kids kind of are good people and and can contribute, you know, to any room that they're in and are, you know, great people in, in school and at home here in the club, you know, and just creating a well-rounded individual, I guess. Uh, That sounds good. And and I think you just did a, a nice little commercial for, Anybody who's a parent, you know, whether they should or not have their kid try it out. What's a good age to, to have a kid uh, try Jiu-Jitsu for the first time? Um, it, it totally depends on the kid, you know. We have, like, we have kids in our program as young as four. Um, and we have, you know, kids that are, like, our kids program is four to 12. But, you know, we at our personal club, we recommend, like, five to six just because, you know, kids then have experience because they're in school they have experience taking direction from someone other than their parents they have you know they've been they've had to sit and listen to someone talk they've had to you know but it, like any age is is good you know in, in my opinion um i think it's such a great uh like 
tool to have in, in your life as, as a kid and that's such a great, you know, mechanism for, for learning, not just jiu-jitsu, but, but stuff about life as well. So for me, you know, the earlier the better in my opinion, but, um, yeah. How, how does this, um, just explain your ideas of it, like how, um, learning jujitsu uh, could help somebody learn better at school? Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, it's, it's very different now, even from like when I was a kid. So, um, you know, in school now, like I have, I have two younger stepsisters and just the kids I talked to the club, you know, they don't fail anybody anymore. They don't, you know, they're, everybody kind of gets a participation medal and in martial arts, you, you really don't have that. You know, um, if you roll with someone, you know, and, and they beat you like that person, like won against you or that person like executed something against you that you didn't want. And, and, I think it's just a really good avenue to learn how to problem solve and to learn how to learn, you know, um, in our club, you know, we don't, we don't like spoon feed the kids when we're teaching them techniques. So, you know, we'll show a technique and we'll be there to help, but the children kind of have to, have to learn how to learn it themselves and how to, how to, you know, ask for help if they need it. But at the end of the day, the responsibility is on them to figure out how to move their hips or how to move, you know, their arm or which direction to, to push in, you know. And, and I think that's something that is maybe getting lost a little bit with kids now is we just want to, we want to protect our, ki- our kids all the time. So we, we kind of help them with everything. We don't allow them the chance to, to make mistakes or to, to have difficulty with something, right? So, but martial arts is it's still very pure in that aspect where you you learn you have to learn how to how to struggle, and you learn that with struggle comes comes success, and that's something that can stay with you that will stay with you your entire life, in my opinion. That's good, and and you know I think about like uh, watching kids compete. Some kids mm-hmm. will go out there and, and lose. And, mm-hmm. and you could tell it's like the first time they've lost at anything. Mm-hmm. And it's devastating. And some kids, you know, they lose, they walk it off. They, they're happy and they're running around yeah. being a kid within minutes. It's not a big deal. Yeah. They, they fought hard. They tried. Oh, you know, yeah. do it again. Uh, when's the next one? You know? So, yeah. uh, <laughs> but I think, I think as a kid, you know, it's, it's, I mean, for me personally, I would rather, you know, experience losing for the first time at five than, you know, at 25 when I didn't get a job interview that I really wanted, you know? And so to be able to, to deal with loss or, or, you know, disappointment at a young age on like unrealistically a level that, you know, doesn't have a very big impact in your life as a whole, you know, can, can help, you know, prepare you and help teach you those coping mechanisms for, you know, when you do have to do something really important in your life when, later on. And, and you, you know, hopefully you'll have developed those skills where if something doesn't go your way, you can, you know, you can figure out a new way to do it or you can figure out why it didn't work and improve for next time. Yeah. And I do think, getting a little off topic, but effort is oftentimes uh, a bigger mm-hmm. result than, uh, or a bigger thing than the result. So it, yeah, as long definitely. as the kids are trying hard and they're, and they're training hard, whether they win or they lose, the fact that they're they're showing some determination and they're, and they're showing heart and, and putting effort into it, that's yep. a big deal. And and the funny thing with kids that, like, I, you know, I've been teaching kids probably since I was 13, is you never know with kids. You know, I've seen kids that get their butts kicked at tournaments for like five years, like every match they lose. And, and then one day, you know, it just, it just clicks and they, they go out and they can, you know, they win a tournament. And for me, like as a coach, it's not the fact that they won the tournament, like that's great and awesome and everything, but to have that, 
that lesson learned that, you know, as long as you just keep putting in the work and you keep trying, like one day, one day it's going to work. One day, you know, and you just have to keep, keep putting in the work. Yeah, that's, that's, that's awesome to see. And it's always a very proud moment for an instructor when mm-hmm. the kid yeah, makes a turnaround. <laughs> uh, what advice would you have for somebody doing their first tournament? Oh, go and have fun, you know. Um, don't don't put any pressure on yourself. Don't you know? Don't let the nerves get to you. Just just go out there and and do your thing and and learn from it, you know. <laughs> my my coach kind of always warns, like not warns people, but it gives them a heads up. You know, your first tournament is 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 so different. You know, it's it's unlike anything kind of you ever do in class. You can train really hard in class, and you can have your your teammates go super hard with you but when you're going up against someone who you don't know and they don't really care if they you know rough you up a little bit and it's it's very different so you know just be prepared for that intensity change and and just go with it and have fun and see what see what happens that's good advice you, you are a uh a high level competitor in jiu-jitsu let me try to take you down and make you more relatable with a lot of the audience what were you like as a blue belt <laughs> oh gosh i was you know um very, I don't even, oh no, I don't, I, I don't want to say like I've, I've changed that much. I just feel that maybe now more, I'm less, less concerned about the results of tournaments, even just like if we're talking just competitive competitions, you know, I remember as a blue belt, like I was like, I want to win this tournament and I want to win this tournament and I want to win this tournament. And, you know, which is, it was good. It was good to have that, that drive and that motivation. But now as, as a black belt, and even when I was a brown belt, you know, you, you realize that who wins a tournament just depends on who shows up. You know, like I could be in a division with two people. I could be in a division with 40 people. I could be in a division and have, you know, Gabby Garcia show up, you know, and, and so at the end of the day, you can't control if you win or lose. You can only kind of control if you do your best. And that sounds sounds very like hokey pokey and like, you know, but I really just think that now I've really focused on doing the best of my abilities versus fighting for an end result. Yeah. I, I completely fun. agree with your, you can't, you, you can't control who the other person is and what they're going to do. Um, yeah. you can control your game plan, you control your training, but at the end of the day, if you, if you, you know, you come to the, to the, ta- to the mat with the, with what you have and you give it a hundred percent. If you were able to win, you would win. And if it's not on the, uh, not going to happen, it's not going to happen. I mean, it's nothing yeah, to be upset about. Definitely. And as, as a blue belt, you know, I think I overlooked a lot of the, um, the mental side of the game. You know, I was very much like, Oh, I just gotta, you know, I just gotta practice more. I just gotta you know, lift more weight. I just have to do this. I just have to do that. But, you know, I realize now that there's, there's a whole other half of the of the equation that is so easily overlooked that but is equally if not more important, which is like the mental side of it. Um so I've really, you know, started or been focusing on that a lot lately as well. Uh you played hockey at a pretty high level too. Did anything translate over to Jiu Jitsu that, that kinda gave you a little bit of an edge? Um I I think, you know, um just that that intensity or that um, realization that to be elite at something, you have to um, you have to commit quite a bit, and that's probably something that you know 
some people don't realize. Uh, my my coach and dad always kind of have a quote that says, you know, if you want to achieve what very few people achieve, you have to be willing to do things that very few people are willing to do. Um, and, you know, I with hockey, you know, you're up at 6 a.m., you're every other weekend, you're in Toronto, you're doing dryland, you're doing on-ice practices, you know, you're at the rink the majority of, of the weekend. And, and that just kind of becomes a normal thing. So for me to, to train every day or to, you know, go to the gym or to, you know, it's, it's just been something that I've kind of been doing all my life. And to me, when you do a sport, that's how you do it. So just because of that competitiveness that I'm, that I'm used to. Um, so that probably helped quite a bit. Um, just kind of knowing that I have to devote a lot of my time to, to the sport if I want to become good at it. That makes sense. It it kind of took away the idea that somebody could be good at it right away without uh, having a lot of time. I mean, you you always have your your you always have those people, right? But I, you know, I was never one of those people. I always had to, you know, devote time to something. Um, so for me, that's just kind of always been what I what I do. <laughs> cool. That's a, I think that's a good lesson learned and brought over from a, a different sport. Yeah. What would if you have several students, whether adult or, or in the in the kids class, what would be uh, like an ideal trait that you would you would see in a, somebody and say that they're going to do, uh, they're going to have success, whether that be you know competition or just getting good at jiu-jitsu? Um, so, what would be a good trait that they would they would have that would help them get that? Um, probably. Uh, like etern- it's gonna uh, like an eternal optimism. So, uh, you know, just that that positive attitude, but just and wanting to wanting to always improve. You know, and and to keep just that focus. So, eternal optimism and, and focus, I guess. So, you know, not getting discouraged, keeping that keeping that um, positive energy, even when you know you're plateauing or things aren't going your way in training or, you know, your diet's been crappy for a month, but keeping that, keeping that positive energy and then, which kind of comes into that, that focus and just, you know, keeping your, your goals set and knowing exactly what you want to do and where you want to kind of go with it. Okay. uh, I have another question for you. Um, Mm -hmm. I think I'm going to change it though, just to be, see how you would answer it. Typically I would say if you can go back in time and give yourself advice, what would you say? But if you can go back in time and give your brother some advice, what would you tell him as a, <laughs> as a younger, as a kid that's trying to grapple and, and have success? Give my brother advice? Yeah. Um, he's probably going to kill me for this one. Uh, I, you know, that's a tough one. Um, just have a game plan and stick to that stick to that game plan no matter what. Um, you know, I've never been, um, I've never been like physic, uh, like athletic in the way that I can like move my body into these crazy positions, you know? So my game plan was always very, and has always been super basic and super, um, not like low level, but, but very basic is a good way to put it. Um, you know, Mike can, do all these crazy turns and spins and move his body in ways that I don't think a body should naturally be able to move, um, you know, which is great. And it exposes you to all this stuff. But in my personal opinion, you know, I think just sticking to your, having a game plan and having something that, you know, procedurally you can go, okay, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to end up in that position and I'm going to tap in with this submission and not changing that game plan 
you know, and just sticking to it and, and adding things to help you get to your positions that you want to get to. But at the end of the day, having that, that straight game plan that you can always execute. That I think that's solid advice for anybody. I mean, you covered a lot there. Just not just having a game plan, but sticking to it. You know, the, the odds of you, um, if you leave your game plan willingly, you know, as as, as you decide this 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 match, I'm going to go do this instead. The odds yeah. that that you're going to find success outside of your game plan have just went down. So sticking yep. to that game plan. That's, yeah, uh, totally. And and yeah, like and have faith. You know, have faith in your in your jiu-jitsu, believe in, you know, believe in your jiu-jitsu and, and don't doubt it for a second, you know, and just go for it all the time. Exactly what you want to do. So, uh, when, when you started to do jiu-jitsu, uh, more seriously and, yep. and, and do that, uh, what frustrated you during that time? Um, as for me, I guess what probably frustrated me the most when I first started, um, was, you know, the fact that I had come from such a a different sport, you know, um, that I was used to getting things right away would be a wrong word, but, you know, I had played hockey for, for 14 years. So to go into a new sport where things didn't come as natural to me was, was super frustrating. You know, I was used to, to kind of always being able to move my body in a way that I wanted. And sometimes in jiu-jitsu, you get put in places that you, you don't want to be or you, you know, you don't like getting smothered and your your teammate, you know, sits on you and out for, you know, and you just you just can't escape. And, and for me, not being able to impose my will as much as I would have liked it was very frustrating. Not being able to, to move or not being able to necessarily... Um, get out of, of certain positions. And it just found it so different. You know, in in hockey, if somebody scores on you, you're like, whatever, my teammate, the forward, you know, messed up with the puck or the goalie should have saved that one or my other defensive partner, like, drops the ball. But, like, in jiu-jitsu, even when you're rolling, you know, that person, like, is beating you and there's nothing, you, there's no, like, cop-out for that. You know, it's just that person is better than me. And, and that was really hard to, to take in the beginning was like, I had nobody to blame but myself when I didn't do a move or when I didn't um, get out of a position. And so that was, yeah, that was super tough in the beginning. But then once you get over that, it's, it's easy. <laughs> I, yeah, that is a, a transition from a team sport to a, a, a more of an individual sport. Obviously there's yeah. you know, teams supporting you, but what happens out there is your responsibility. Yep. You, you're, Obviously, very busy with what you do, but there's a lot of people are busy. If someone's only able to train one or three times a week, you know that range. Uh, what advice mm-hmm. do you have for them to be able to continue to get better and, and to develop themselves? Um, visualize. You know, as as weird as it sounds, um, you know, I I read this study where you know for the most successful performance, like on the mats, let's say competing, you know, the ratio is 25% physical practice and 75% visualization. Um, and when I, when I found out that statistic, I was like, what? Like, oh my goodness. So like every hour you're on the mat, you should be spending three hours thinking about jujitsu, you know, reading articles, watching YouTube videos, just to, so that your, you know, your brain is in that mode all the time. You know, if you're driving home from work and some car cuts you off, you know, visualize like what you would you do to that person in a fight and how mad you are, you know, or, um, but 
that's like a big, a big thing. You know, there are sometimes like weeks where, or like days where I don't get to make it to training just because of work. And, you know, that's where that visualization really helps. You know, it doesn't have to be sitting in a room on a yoga mat with like candles lit and like trans music playing in the background. You know, it can be very passive and half an hour before you go to bed every night, just lie there and, and go through the moves in your head, go through your, your curriculum, go through, you know, positions that you're, you're trying to work on and ways to get out. And then, you know, if you, if you're visualizing, let's say a crossbound escape or a, an armbar escape and you forget a point, you can write it down. And the next time you go to class, you can ask your coach or your training partner, okay, I was thinking about this and, you know, I got stuck here. What do I do? And that's kind of, you know, what I practice, you know, 75% visualization and 25% physical practice. Well, and, and from what I've, uh, from what I could guess, you've never been injured as you visualize things, right? I mean, it's yeah, pretty- <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's it's great. So and then you get you know three hours extra practice, and you know you're not physically practicing it, but your your brain is working through it the same way it would if you were physically doing it. Yeah, it's different. I mean, you can't uh, just you know if I want to start jujitsu today. Um, and I, but my first two months, I'm just going to visualize jujitsu, and then I'm going to start. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll be three yeah. months into it. That doesn't oh, really work sure, that way. For sure. <laughs> And that's why, you know, for me, I like to, um, I watch like YouTube videos and I don't watch it necessarily to like pick up techniques. I just watch it to, you know, watch how people are moving and watch how, you know, everyone kind of, kind of rolls. And then you get that, you get that feeling for it. So then when, you know, you can kind of implement it and, and just your brain should just be kind of thinking about it all the time, you know, as much time as you, as you can kind of thing. But it's, it's a good way if you can't make it to class or you can't make it to a a training session to just, you know, think about it instead, you know, if that's better than not getting anything in at all. I think for me, some of my, I have a, 30 minute ride or drive to go to, to get to class. So some of my best visual time to visualize is on my way to where from and on my way to, I'm trying mm-hmm. to visualize like, a, like I say, a positive manner. I'm trying to tip put myself with like, I'm going to do this tonight. I'm really going to work on, on these te- these couple techniques. And the way home is usually, okay, what happened and how come it didn't work? And yeah. I try to break down, you know, try to actually just learn about what happened and, and, and yeah, definitely. Put back in those definitely. Spots. And you, you know, you, the more you, think about it, um, I guess, kind of outside of class, the less, the more subconscious it becomes when you're rolling. So, you know, I know when I first started as a blue belt or as a white belt, you know, it was, okay, I have to move my hand here. I have to move my, my butt over. I have to grab the wrist. I have to lift my hips. I have to squeeze, you know, and, and when you're do, like all that half a second it takes to, to actually think all that stuff takes time, right? And that's time that your opponent uses to, to change the position where if you think about it all the time, it's just going to come so naturally when you're rolling that, you know, you don't have to walk through it step by step in your head because you've already done it a hundred times outside of class. Yeah, and I think I've, I've heard somewhere that your, uh, your brain will still make those pathways even if you're not yeah, you know, definitely. I, I, definitely. Once you know how to do it, your brain will, if you're thinking about it, it will still make those even better. How could somebody get a hold of you or, or train with you, or what could they do to keep up with you? Yeah, yeah I have um, my Facebook, um, Instagram, just my name, Allison Tremblay. Um, but yeah, like if, you know, message me there, message me on Facebook, Instagram. Um, you know, we're, yeah, always open to having people, you know, talk to me, come train with me. Like, it's it's great. You know, the thing with, that I love about the jiu-jitsu community is, is it's, 
it's still kind of a niche thing that, you know, it's getting so much bigger and it's getting so much more popularized, but there's still, you know, that little niche of people that do it. And you kind of almost have that, that connection right away with someone who trains, you know, you kind of, cause it's such a unique experience and it's something that you don't really get anywhere else unless you, unless you train. So for me, when I meet someone that trains or someone messages me that, that trains, you know, I feel that instant connection with them because we, we bond over, over something that, you know, very few people do. Awesome. I'll uh, I'll put links to to the would you say Facebook yeah, and Instagram on there, so that'll be uh, reach out and, and get my uh, followers up. <laughs> yeah, reach out and uh, and give give Allison support. She's uh and, and and it's it's fun to to watch you as you as you go around the world and compete. You know, so that's easy yeah. to keep up with what you're doing. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, uh, I want to thank you very much for uh, giving us the interview. It's it's been a pleasure talking with you. I've I've learned a lot about uh, you and a lot about jujitsu, so it's both. It's been good on both uh, respects. So. No, thank you, thank you so much for having for having me on here. It's cool. It's my first like ever podcast. So it'll be exciting <laughs> to hear it. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I'll, I'll uh, keep in contact with you, and uh, uh, thanks again. Awesome. Thank you so much, Byron. All right. Bye bye. Okay. Take care. Hey, I want to say a special thank you to Allison Trombley for giving us her time and uh, sharing her stories and some of her knowledge about jiu-jitsu. Um, definitely uh, it means a lot to get somebody like that on, on the on the show, and, uh, and I think the listeners really appreciate it as well. Um, I definitely urge you to connect with Allison on her Facebook page. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. The BJJ Break Podcast also has a Facebook page. Go on there and check it out, and uh, if you like it, there's a button that you could hit that says like it. So that's pretty easy. <laughs> and speaking of liking it, we want you to give us a review and we want to send you a gi patch. Um, basically, we have uh, BJJ Brick gi patches. Uh, it's kind of just like uh, our logo there. It's uh, Byron getting ready to smash me in the face with a brick, which really doesn't sound too good. Do you realize <laughs> that I'm, I'm using the microphone choke on him? Uh, but hey, just go on to iTunes. Give us a review. Uh, we like funny reviews. If you want to make it funny, we'll we'll read it on the air. Send us an email, uh, either at bjjbrick at gmail.com or send us a message on the Facebook page. Let us know that was you. If you live in the United States, we'll send you out a free ghee patch. Sorry if you're outside of the United States. We're just a couple of poor podcasters and uh, don't have the extra money to send overseas. But um, we'd love to get you out a ghee patch. Uh, we love that you listen and uh, just give us a review. We'll take care of the rest. This week, Allison uh, talked about going to uh, ADCC in her opening match. She faced Gabby Garcia. And and I have a question for you, uh, the listeners here. If you will, if you were going to go to a tournament in, in your opening match, would you like to face the the favorite of the whole tournament right off the bat, or would you rather be the opposite side of the bracket and and possibly never even get to to face that competitor? So I mean, if you look at Allison's situation, she could say that she had a match with with Gabby Garcia. You know that that's an amazing thing. Um, or if she maybe got matched with somebody else, she could have. Uh, got there anyway, but uh, it's just a kind of luck of the draw type of thing sometimes, or or the way the brackets are worked out. But how would you like your bracket to work out? Would you like the toughest competitor right off the bat, or um, would you rather meet them in the finals? So, uh, just kind of a question. You can answer that on our Facebook page on this post that uh, that is of the <laughs> of this episode. So, well, Byron, let me ask you that question. How would you answer that? I uh I I think most of my tournaments that I've done it's been a while it, it's been statistically accurate as in the matches get harder as I go yeah. 
Yeah. Um, but let's say you were doing a match today. Uh, you were an ADCC, and uh, you had uh, Gary Tunnan. Would you like him, you know, right off the bat, or would you like to uh, have him on the other side of the bracket? <laughs> or let's just say he's the number one seed. I, I'd rather not have Yogi. a match with him at all. But uh, no, uh, I don't know. It, it'd be, it'd be. Uh, I, I think there's something to be said to getting a match in. That is kind of almost a warm-up match. I've heard uh, people talk about that. Is just get, get just get your first win out of the way, and then and then things get easier for you because uh, a lot of those nerves fade away after the first match. And, and yeah, I'm the same confident. as you. I'd rather rather have be on the opposite bracket, um, and then just hopefully I can progress and face the face that guy in the championship. But what I what I really don't like is when um, it, it's, it's kind of frustrating. Uh, is if you face somebody you should beat, that could be frustrating too. Yes, yeah. I mean, it seems like more pressure is on yourself than on the other person. You're you're expected to win, so uh, uh, if you don't, it's uh, more like, ah, oh, boy, I should have I should have won that. But that's the cool thing about jujitsu. Like we said earlier, you can't lie. Anybody can win any given day. It's a it's a sport. You make a mistake. It's easily to, you can get capitalized on and uh, finished. Yeah, so uh, we urge you to go to our Facebook page and answer the question, or you can answer it on the uh, on the actual website itself in the comments there. Uh, and we'd like to hear from you about that. Don't miss uh, next week. Uh, we've had this person on as a guest before, but uh, we've invited Jonathan Thomas back. Um, it's actually going to be a two-part episode, so you do not want to miss episode 105 and 106. Uh, you get a double dose of jonathan thomas so uh if you haven't seen his first or listened to his first uh podcast with us check it out because uh it's a great uh, episode and uh so we're gonna have a double dose coming up of jonathan thomas check yeah. it out uh, yeah and uh the, the interview happened a couple weeks ago but um he I, I believe in the first part of this interview the first episode of this interview um we talk a lot about his ideas on uh like getting ready for a tournament and, and and conditioning and he has uh completely kind of changed what he does as far as the conditioning aspect of preparing for a match and and, and what he was doing was working i mean he he won the uh, worlds at brown belt and tapped everybody out i mean he's not a <laughs> he, <laughs> he's a high level competitor but um he's changed what he what he's doing for his to, to prepare for tournaments and then i think the second interview is is more about uh technical aspects of jiu-jitsu and some we talk a lot about techniques so uh really fun interview a uh, lot of well thought out knowledge he thinks a lot about jiu-jitsu and he's and he was happy to share that with us so and uh i can tell you i was not part of this interview but when byron was just telling me about how he's changed up his conditioning and and for tournaments and everything i'm excited i can't wait for episode 105 i want to uh um, I know last time I got so much from him. I remember even writing down in my journal while we were interviewing stuff that he was saying uh, that was just uh, just so awesome. I mean, just really helped my game. So uh, I really can't wait till this next episode. Yeah, me too. I can't wait to get that out there and, and wrap it up, the editing there. Um, there are two easy ways to get a hold of uh, the BJJ Brick podcast. Uh, one way is to send us an email, uh, bjjbrick at gmail.com. Another way would be to hit us up on Facebook with the little messenger uh, portion of the Facebook. Not not so much the uh, post on the page. You could do that. That's fine. But that uh, usually doesn't – I don't know if we see that as often. But if you send us a message, we will see it. And, and it, you know, it's, it's a fun way to chat with you guys. Hey, actually, you forgot the third way, Byron. Oh, boy. Here we go. The third way 
is if you happen to be traveling through Wichita, uh, right yeah. here in Wichita, Kansas, basically the center of the United States. If you happen to be going through Wichita, you can just stop by, uh, stop at Byron's house. He lives at. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but no, you'd have to send us a message and uh, and tell us you're coming through town. We'd love to train with you. So if you do get to Wichita, Kansas, or anywhere near here, let us know. Send us a. A message to those email addresses Byron just talked about, and uh, we'd love to train. So we've been mentioning since episode 100 that if you want to send in your uh, what Jujitsu has done for you stories, uh, go right ahead, send it to our email. We'd be happy to share that with you. Whether you want to send that on a uh, like an audio clip, like that you've recorded on your phone, or if you would like to send that uh, via like a written story, we'll be happy to publish it on the website as well. So here's a a story that we've got via audio clip. So I'll go ahead and play that for you now. Hi, my name is Mike Mahaffey. I am 43 years old, and I am a purple belt training at Magic Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in East Lansing, Michigan. I've been training Jiu-Jitsu for almost nine years at this point. Um, what Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu has done for me, uh, it's done a lot for me. I have trained martial arts, mostly stand-up martial arts, for about 30 years, and... Uh, uh, several years ago, I was diagnosed with uh, rheumatoid arthritis, which is autoimmune arthritis. My immune system is attacking my joints and causing damage and injury and pain, and it also attacks other parts of your body. And due to the disease and due to injuries related to the disease, I cannot do much of the stand-up martial arts I used to do, and being an almost lifelong martial artist, uh, that can be very depressing. However, I have found that Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is an activity that I am able to participate in. Uh, of course, I have to be careful. There are days when I can do more, days when I can do less, but overall, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu has given me a sense of meaning and purpose in terms of continuing my training. It's been a wonderful activity. I've got a great coach who's also a good friend of mine. I have a great team at Magic Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Uh, I love training with those folks. I may not be the best. I may not be the toughest. I may not be the most athletic. But training in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu gives me in many ways, something to get out of bed in the morning for. So I'm really grateful to have this art in my life. Thank you for listening. Have a great day. So that was Mike uh, just sharing a little bit of his story. And I really respect the, the or look up to the, the fact that he was able to transition from a striking art to the grappling art. That's hard to do. It seems like that's that's something that people really struggle in. If you're just going to start a martial art and you start to do so, that's fine. But when you dedicate so much time to the striking arts and then um, he was really unable to continue that, he didn't just quit doing martial arts altogether. He found Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and he loves it. So really, uh, that's that's a hard transition. He sounds like he is great with it. It's really nice. Like you said, he gave him purpose in life. He's still getting to train and enjoying himself. So, uh, man, that's uh, another inspirational one there. Everyone has waited this long for it, Gary, so we've got to bring it up and talk about it. Your next ebook that you're working on, I'm not sure if I have – I've you know talked to your uh, – uh, talent agent and, and try to get out of them the, the information if it's going to be uh audiobook ebook a little mini movie series or what but uh the title of your your ebook here is called uh the pin is mightier than the sword 90 percent of the time this is my experience in the 10 percent well the only reason i say that 
is um, I don't know if you guys ever watched the TV show and then they made it into a movie. And I guess I'm dating myself when I say TV <laughs> show. But they made a movie years later, but it's called Get Smart. Okay. It's about a secret agent, you know, and he's a bumbling secret agent. But you're talking about the pen is muddier than the sword in 90% of the time. For me, it's almost 100% of the time. I have one of those secret agent pens that you had seen on Get Smart. <laughs> My pen is actually a 22 caliber gun. It's got a projectile knife hooked to it. It basically can do anything. It actually, the, the eraser can explode. So I would rather have that than a sword. I'm, and on top of that, what's the most powerful thing you have? You have your, your mind. You have your, your voice. You have your written words. So basically I can write everything down. And then if you don't like it, I just blow you up or shoot you. So, I mean, hey. What's more muddier than that, Byron? <laughs> you seem pretty adverse to criticism, criticism with your uh, with your pen writing there. Does your pen actually have ink in it, though? I mean, it's got all this bullets and knives. Well, and I, I've got different things. I've got poison ink. I've got regular ink, black or blue. And then I've got the ever-popular disappearing ink. But remember when you said, I don't like criticism that much? Well, if you're going to shoot somebody who criticizes what you, what you wrote down with your pen... Well, I like that email address so much. <laughs> Honesty. Sometimes, what was that email address? Honesty is a bitch or, uh, or something. Sorry, I guess I used that. Uh, honesty can suck. Yeah, that's what it was. Honesty there we go. At gmail.com. That's our buddy. Yeah, so uh, that goes well with my uh, secret agent pen. Yep. There you go. You, uh, you just write it down and send it in. Can, Gary's pen actually can send email. Yeah. That's it's, weird. It's a smart pen. I've never seen anything quite like it, and uh, and if you don't respond in a certain amount of time, then he'll activate some function in that pin. Yeah, we're actually going to come get you. Wow. Well, I, I, I've been fascinated about this book you've been working on or well, writing. the bad thing about this book, though, most people can't even – well, it's going to – like you said, it's going to go into a mini-movie. But most people won't be able to watch it because it can be rated R. Oh. So, yeah, uh, nobody watches know. those. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was kind of worried that you would be handwriting out every copy of the book. Well, I only write in cursive, but backwards. Oh yeah, you got to use the yeah. you, do, you, you do the single mirror system, don't you? Yeah, so you have to actually read it in a mirror. <laughs> All right, man. Well, that's uh, that's a good that's a good time. Hey, just uh, a quick question here, Gary. Blue, yes. or, blue or black ink? Black ink, sir. Okay, just curious. Why is that? Is there a reason? Well, what happens is I'm actually in the banking industry, and mortgage filings only want black ink, so I'm used to it. Okay, there you go. Even though I don't do mortgages, but I it's carryover, I guess. There you go. All right, yeah. well, that's that. There's the fun fact of the day. And if you're writing with a blue pen, Gary is wagging his finger in disapproval. Yep, <laughs> but not gonna I shoot you in his pen. <laughs> All right, just checking on that uh, ink fat color fact. So anyway, uh, next week there'll be lots more action with more jujitsu, like we were talking about with Jonathan Thomas. And uh, another quote of the week, and of course, another article. So stay sweaty, my friends. And don't forget to shower. Thank you for listening. I hope you find the time today to roll. After all, the best way to get better at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is to do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. <laughs>